This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're with a great honor to hear momentarily from Rabbi Ben-Zion Schaefer on the topic of mastering relationships. I thank everyone for joining us on this, on this cold uh, winter on this cold winter night where, we're, where, where we just had this great holiday of, of Hanukkah, of, 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 of igniting yourself and igniting others. And that's what we're going to be doing here tonight. We're hearing tremendous words from Rabbi Sion Schaefer. I want to thank the Oyetzkar, Yeshiva Oyetzkar, for always opening their doors because they're a place of Torah and, and Chizuk and the Tila, of course. I want to thank uh, Torah Life, David Batiro, for uh, their applause for all this tremendous work David does. She's doing amazing. I want to thank Rabbi Schaefer and the Shmooz. I think it's their applause for all this tremendous work they do. Of course, Rabbi Schaefer went from place to place inspiring people in person and thousands of people online, of course. And we're going to be hearing uh, about some, everyone's going to get a free book, 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. So definitely uh, um, tremendous insights and wisdom. I want to thank, of course, Chazak, which was, people might know Chazak because of events and Shirim, which, which they organized, like uh, Rabbi Schaefer, where he spoke uh, about, his, about this tremendous safer. Um, for Kazakh in in, uh, in in Queens and in Roslyn and we're be partnering together with, with David tonight to our life to be here in Brooklyn and uh, what might not be known is that is that there's thousands of uh, upon thousands tens of thousands of Jewish public school students in the Jewish education so Kazakh is on the forefront to help give them a Jewish education through Sunday school after school programs in 15 different locations and just since 2017 over 1300 children have been transferred to public school yeshiva so if anyone knows anyone who has children in public school and would like to give them a Jewish education, please reach out to Chazak. And is, our, is now our, our time to call upon uh, man of the hour. We're here uh, tonight because of Dave Batura. So he's going to give us some opening remarks today. Thank you. Okay, wow, what a beautiful crowd today, really. Give yourselves a round of applause. It's really amazing. Thank you all so much for coming. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to me. Okay, I'll use the mic. I usually don't use the mic when I come to, the, to make the lectures and give the intros, but uh, I guess it calls to this time right now. Uh, what I wanted to say, first of all, is Rabbi Benzion Schaefer is a very special person to Torah Life, my organization, because he was the very first person to ever give a shear by us in 2016. And uh, he met us midway in 2019 when there was a ridiculous blizzard that was called to be here, and uh, somehow, some way, made his way over from Muncie uh, to get here in time for the shear. So... Really, our Ben Sion Schaefer, thank you for being there throughout the journey. I really appreciate it. Uh, one other thing is, I was getting a lot of um, calls and texts asking if it's uh, an event for couples or for singles or for this one or for that one. This book is really for everybody. I know it says it's, uh, it's dumb mistakes that smart couples make, but really it's uh, relationship advice that's relevant to every single person individually and with their couples, with their significant other. So I highly advise to take a book. It's free. It was sponsored. Uh, for the most part. Um, sponsorship is still available, of course. And um, really, like, take, take, uh, take advantage of the information. It's really brilliant information. Without further ado, our events Sion Schaefer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> yes, and Yishkoya for tremendous work uh, for life and, uh, and for Chazak, who are great partners. Um, good. Um, Okay, so this is, uh, again, the name of this book is The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Uh, I wrote the book because um, the schmooze began as a regular Hashkafa Musser uh, issue. You know, we dealt with issues in life. But over the past maybe 10, 15 years, people have been coming to me with problems. And in the past couple of years especially, things have gotten a lot more rocky. And I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. Literally hundreds of couples have come into my office, and I can't tell you the amount of times I'm looking at him, I'm looking at her, my jaw drops down, I go, what? What are you guys thinking? What is going on between your ears? And so I wrote the book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes a Very Smart Couples Make, because again and again I found very smart couples doing really dumb things. Now, before we get into the marriage part of tonight because there are quite a number of singles here, I want to share with you two perspectives on finding the right person. Let me begin with the following. Imagine that you're single, and you ask a married friend, whether the person is very happily married or mediocre, whatever, ask them the following question. 
the person that you're married to now, is that the same person you were dating? Right? Imagine you have a couple of married, two years, three years, four years. The person that you're married to now, is that the same person that you were dating back then? If the invariably, not same person, no connection whatsoever. If the marriage is great or horrible or whatever it may be, I guarantee the person that they're married to has no connection to the person they were dating. That's observation number one. And observation number two is like this. We all have our list when we're going out of what I need, what I should have, what are really deal breakers. Ask a person two years after they're married, those things that really, really were important to you when you're going out, and those things that were absolute deal breakers, and those things that you were willing to negotiate on, do they matter now? Absolutely not. There were seven other things that I never dreamt about that are so much more important that I was unaware of. And most people make that discovery that I made. You see, I knew everything that there was to know about marriage. And then I got married. And then I discovered that I didn't know an awful lot at all. Now, Baruch Hashem, my wife and I were married now, coming up in 36 years. I love my wife. We have a great marriage. My wife is not here to argue. So we're going to take my word on this. But I'd like to share with you, I learned some lessons along the way. And what I'd like to do this evening is deal with some of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. A, if you're married, and B, if you're not married, because I think it's going to be very, very essential for understanding the institution of marriage and specifically what you're looking for when you're looking to get married. So let's begin. And Parshas Ve'era, Avram Avinu lifts up his eyes, and on the horizon he sees three wayfarers, three travelers. He doesn't know who they are. He thinks they're Arabs. He runs out to greet them, bows down full face in the sand. Please do not pass your master. He ushers them in, he gives them food, he gives them drink, and he stands over them like a waiter. At a certain point, one of these malachim say to Avram, Where is Sarah, your wife? Now, if you think about it, that's not very polite. Here the man welcomes you in, gives you food, gives you drink, and you start asking about his wife. Rashi says, Malachi Sayu, the highest level of Malachim. Yodim Hayu, they knew exactly where Sarimina was. Why did they ask that question? to make her more beloved in his eyes. You see, they asked the question because he was going to answer Hinehi Ba'oel. She's a tsnua, she's a modest woman. She's not out, out in the limelight. She's in the tent. She's not out there in the public sphere. By saying those words, he would have a greater appreciation of her modesty. He would come to love her more. They asked the question so that he should answer Hinehi Ba'oel. Now, if you think about it, that's a rather unusual statement for Rashi to make. Why? Ladies and gentlemen, what is the biggest obstacle to a successful marriage? The single biggest obstacle to a successful marriage, anyone? Stubbornness. Stubbornness. How about being self-centered? When I am the center of the universe, I am a difficult person to be married to. Here's the problem. We're dealing with two of the most other-centered human beings you could ever imagine. Avram Avinu, the paradigm of chesed. <coughs> Sorry, Menu, his match. Two perfect tzaddikim. The morale says, in the course of history, there never was a bond between husband and wife. Never such a closeness as there was between Avram and Sarah. So here's the question. Why do Malachim feel they have to overstep their bounds, ask a question that might not be so tznius, might not be so proper, to make her more beloved in his eyes? They had the near-perfect marriage. And if this question doesn't trouble you, let's follow the storyline a little bit. <coughs> Sari Menu is on the other side of the tent. She's listening. A little while later, one of the Malachim say, this time next year, your wife is going to have a child. But Tishak Sarah, Bekirba Sarah laughs inside, saying, how could this be? Vadoni Zake, my husband is too old. Hashem says to Avram, Lama Sachka Sarah, why did Sarah laugh saying that she's too old? Now that's not what Sarah said. Sarah said, how could this be when my husband is too old? And Hashem changed it to be, <clears throat> why did Sarah laugh saying that she's too old? Says Rashi, Shina Kosov. Hashem changed. Hashem lied, if you excuse the expression. Why? Shalom for peace. The Allah is, <clears throat> there's going to be a major battle, a major fight, a war, whatever it may be. You're allowed to lie for Shalom. I heard my Rebbe, Shiva Zatzal, I learned to Chaim Shiva, asked the following question. When are you allowed to lie for Shalom bias? If there's going to be a major, who knows what, right? Imagine that Avram heard the word that Sarah said that he's too old. Do you think he would have fallen to part? Hey, Sarah, call me an old man. Ooh. Number one, he was a giant of a human being. 
Every year of his life was another accomplishment. He was at that stage in his life the richest man in existence, the most powerful man, and he had another 75 years to live. I don't think he would have gone to pieces. I don't think he would have broken up. I'm not even sure it would have made a scratch. Yet Hashem lied. Hashem changed the story. <clears throat> why did Sarah say that she's too old? The question is, number one, why did the Malachim feel they had to make her more beloved in his eyes? And question number two is, why did Hashem have to change? Why did Hashem lie? This is difficult to understand. Okay, so let's begin <clears throat> with the following observation. And this one is the question. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the single biggest cause of divorce in the world today? Lack of respect. Lack of respect. Good. Anyone else? Lack of communication. Lack of communication. Good. Finances. How about money? How about kids? Religion? In-laws? Right? I'd like to share with you, they're all true, but none of them are the biggest cause of divorce. There's one significant cause of divorce today. And what's that? Fighting. 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 Yeah, but Rabbi, come on, it's about kids and the in-laws and the money. and the, that's, what the, that's, what the, that's what the fighting's about, right? Nope, it's never true. You know what the fighting is always about? It's never about the issue, it's always about the hurt feelings. It's never about the issue, it's always about the relationship. And would you like to know how I know this to be true? 70% of successful marriages have at least one irreconcilable difference. An irreconcilable difference means a difference that can't be reconciled. There is no middle point. For instance, let's say he has a successful business in Manhattan. She has severe allergies and she needs to live in San Diego. Chicago doesn't cut it for either one. Imagine he wants to bring the kids up in a Hasidish way. She wants a Litvisha type of approach. He can't send the kids to, to yeshiva with long curly payas on one side. Right? There's no reconciliation. There's no mid-ground. 70% of successful marriages have at least one, if not more, irreconcilable differences. Yet somehow... They're successfully married. Why? Because as long as the relationship is good, as long as there's love and respect, my way, your way, we find a way. But the minute the love in the marriage starts to wane, they are in very serious trouble. John Gottman is a marriage theorist, a marriage researcher. He can tell with 94% accuracy whether a couple will be divorced within five years or not. And he explains his system. He brings them into his lab, and he puts them into two chairs and he measures everything, their pulse, <coughs> respiration, heart rate. <coughs> he videotapes it and he asks them to discuss three topics. One is he calls a neutral topic, <coughs> the other one is a mutual pleasing topic, and the other one is a flashpoint, something they typically argue about. And he explains, he watches the videotape afterwards and he's looking for one thing. <coughs> contempt. Now contempt is not hatred, it's not anger, it's this kind of rolling of the eyes like... There you go again. He says if he sees one sign of contempt without five positive signs opposite it, that couple is headed for deep trouble. But why? And because the glue of the marriage is the love. The relationship is the essence of the marriage. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Hollywood got it 100% right, but backwards. In the world of Hollywood, we fall in love, we get married. We fall out of love, we get unmarried. Love comes, love goes, it's a mystery, we don't get it. From a Torah perspective, when you choose the person, love has nothing to do with that criteria. You choose this person because I believe this is the person that Hashem has determined is the right one for me. That's how you choose. But if you don't work on a very powerful bond of love, if you don't keep that bond of love going on an ongoing basis, in a very short time you're going to be distant, you're going to be far apart. And I believe that's exactly what Rashi is telling us. As near perfect as their marriage was, and the Malachim said, you gave us food, they want to give something back. They wanted to make her more beloved in his eyes. Why did Hashem change? And Avram Vina would not have gone to peace. Hey, she called me an old man. But it would have made a scratch. Maybe an infant, maybe not even noticeable scratch. But enough for Hashem to lie, because Shalom Bayes is Kaddush, is holy, and love is the essence, the glue of a successful marriage. Okay, so far we're good? Okay, I get the phone call. And it happens only too often, and the phone call sounds something like this. Rabbi Schaefer, yep, thank you for taking the call. How could I help you? Well, it's my husband. What's up? <laughs> well, he's a good guy. He's responsible. He learns. He takes care of the kids. He earns a good living. I said, so far, sounds pretty good. What's the problem? And what's the problem? The problem is, the problem is, I don't love him. I don't love him. Okay. How long are you married? Ten years. How many kids? Five kids. Okay, good. So, ladies and gentlemen, 
What do you do when you get the phone call? The woman's married 10 years, 5 kids, and she doesn't love her husband. What do you do? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I do. <clears throat> what I do is I ask the question that I always ask at that point. I say, Madam, tell me this. Last month, how many times did you and your husband go out? But go out doesn't mean to a wedding or bar mitzvah or to your in-laws. How many times did you and your husband go out to connect, to bond, to spend time together? The answer is, we didn't. Okay? The month before that, how many times did you go out? We didn't. The month before that, we didn't. The month before that. By about eight or nine, I stop and I say, don't you understand? If you're not going to work on the bond, the connection, if you're not going to work on the love and the marriage, you're going to veer apart, you're going to be distant, you're going to be two ships in a night. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're married, I'd like to share with you that radical and incredible approach that I sometimes often say, and I get into trouble for this. If you're single, you can, you can hear what I'm saying. If you're married, you will not. Here we go. If you are married, you have to be going out at least once a week. You go out as a couple to connect, to bond, to spend time together. You go out, you leave the kids behind, you leave the issues and trouble, and you go out to spend time together, to connect, to rebond, to be together as a couple. You see, a couple is supposed to be having an ongoing love affair. It's not just during the courtship stage. It has to be ongoing year after year, year after year, and requires constant vigilance, constant attention. Now, when I say these radical lines, like you should be going out once a week, the pushback I get is incredible. Once a week, how are you crazy? You know how expensive it is? And you know how my, who has a time for it? My husband just started a new job. Who, who could ever do that? Right? So I have an answer. It is true. It is very expensive to go out once a week. Would you like to know how much it costs the alimony and the divorce court? It's very, very time-consuming. How about shuffling the kids between two homes and figuring out who gets them which weekend? The best investment you can make in your health, your happiness, and certainly in your shalom bias, is to go out because you have to reconnect. But you see, gentlemen, it's not just about the going out once a week. It's the love notes, it's the gifts, it's all the things that a couple in love need to be constantly doing. Not when you're going out, not just when you're dating, but after you're married, year one, year two, year ten, year thirty-six. And that means ongoing constantly. Because the glue of the marriage is love, and if you're not constantly working on the love, in a very short time you're going to be distant, and you're going to be apart. And how many singles do we have in this room? How many singles? Okay, how many married? Uh-huh. How many who are not sure? <coughs> wow. We had like five singles, ten married, and like we got a lot more people. Okay, whatever. I guess it's the binary. I guess you're fluid. Okay, fine. I'm not getting I'm not going there. Okay, fine. Anyway, let's assume you're married. If you're not married, listen to this anyway. But again, gentlemen. Oh, here we go. Am I popular? Am I liked? Good. Now I become unpopular. Gentlemen, it is your responsibility to romance your wife. It is your responsibility to plan the date. It is your responsibility to buy the gifts and the notes. And, and the minute a guy says to me, well, I told her, <clears throat> pick the restaurant and let me know. I'll be there. I said, you blew it. You blew it. Because the message you want to give your spouse is, I love you. I cherish you. If a wo- By the way, ladies, anyone who's married will, will, will vouch for this. It is my firm belief that most women, when they get married, are insecure about their husband's love. The beginning of the marriage, I would say the first... 30 or 35 years, they're insecure about their <laughs> husband's love. All right, you know that girl, the girl with the daisy, he loves me, he loves me not. Most women are incredibly insecure, and most guys do a very good job of feeding that insecurity. They don't take her out, they don't spend it, pay attention, they don't buy the gifts, the love notes, the cards, all this stuff. So gentlemen, do yourself, one second, anybody here would like to be happy? Go like this. <clears throat> You'd like to be happy? <clears throat> a happy wife is a happy life. If you romance your spouse, if you let her know one message, you cherish her, you love her, life will be very, very sweet. The minute you stop giving her that message, what's going to happen is she's going to become very, very, ooh, difficult. Oh, can I mention this? Avi, you here? Where's Avi? <coughs> yeah, okay, can I, am I allowed to mention this? Okay, <coughs> a long time ago I was going to write two books. One for women and one for men, right? The women, it was explained to them, their husbands, and one for men was to explain to them their wives. So the women liked the title that I had for their book. I was going to write a book for women, How to Understand Their Husbands. The book was going to be called How to Train Your Lizard. 
you know, guys are reptiles, cold-blooded, you know, how to train you. And the ladies found it very funny, ha, 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 right? <clears throat> but they didn't find it so funny once I explained to them the book for the men. The book for the men was called How to Tame Your Dragon. Like, she, <clears throat> like she's okay, she's nice, as long as you... But the minute she stops feeling that you love her, she, the flames are going to come out. So anyway, I didn't write the books because I knew I'd be banned and whatever. But I did start a Monday night group, a Zoom group, called How to Tame Your Dragon. It's a men's group. Ladies, you're not invited, believe me. And I stress over and over one thing. The single best investment you could make in your being happy, and I say, gentlemen, this one's on your side in the chitza, in your being happy is if you shower your wife with attention, if you let her know that she's cherished, if you let her know that she's loved, she's going to be happy, and guess what? You're going to be happy and if you don't give her that message again and again, but I told her 10 years ago, I told her under the chuppah, and nothing changed, right? And <clears throat> Try that one, see how well it works out. Really dumb mistake number one is not working on the connection, not working on the bond, not going out as a couple, not doing all the things that a couple in love have to be doing. And gentlemen, to be honest with you, this one's more on your side of the mechitza. It's your responsibility to romance your spouse. Okay, well, let's move on to really dumb mistake number two. I want to share with you... <coughs> Two scenes. I'm going to ask you the difference between the two scenes. Here's scene one. A young woman's over here. A young man is over here. They're walking down the street. He trips. And she says, Oi, oi, are you okay? Are you all right? That's scene one. Scene two. Same young woman, same young man. Walking down the street. The guy trips. Klutz. What's wrong with you? Can't even walk down the street? What's wrong with you? What's the difference between scene one and scene two? Scene one is their chassan and kala. Scene two is they're married three years. <clears throat> and this is the second of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. You have to work on the bond, the connection, the love. Love is the glue of marriage. But there also has to be respect. Because you see, if I love you, but I don't treat you with respect, it's going to be very difficult for you to be married to me, and a lot more difficult for you to love me. And my friends, I have to share with you, this is one of the most incredible things I've seen on a regular basis. Couples who seem to like each other, but they say such expressions, such words to each other, like, my hair wants to say, my shit, that's the dumbest, stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <clears throat> Shira, that's crazy, ridiculous. How can you say something so dumb? Like, you guys like each other? Like, how do you? Okay, let's go back to John Gottman. Another little study he conducts when he looks at the couples, after he brings them in and has them talk to each other, he asks the man to leave and brings in a stranger. He has the wife talk to a strange man. <coughs> he records that conversation. And then he asks the woman to leave, brings in a strange. Basically, he has the couple speak to themselves and then speak to other strangers. And here's what he finds. <coughs> Whether the couple are newly married or married for five years, ten years, or twenty years, invariably we are more polite to other strangers than we are to our own spouse. But worse than that, we're far more agreeable to an utter stranger than we are to our own spouse. But even worse, if we do disagree, we are far more polite and far more accepting of a stranger's viewpoint different than ours than we are of our own spouse. And this is the second of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, not working on the respect in the marriage. You have to love your spouse, you have to work and foster that bond, that connection, but there also has to be a very healthy sense of respect. And ladies and gentlemen, I am a big fan, a big fan of breaking this device. I think this device causes us so much trouble that it's incredible. Even though there's a Torah Anytime.com app, and even though there's a Schmooze app, I believe we'd be a lot better off without this device. However, there is one app on this device that I think is well worth using, and that's the tape recorder. Put that tape recorder on one time when you're having a conversation with your spouse. Maybe it's during dinner maybe just you're sitting on the couch, and play it back afterwards and listen to the way you speak to each other. And if you find that you're far more polite to strangers than you are to your own spouse, if you find that you're much more accepting of others' opinions than you are to your own spouse, it's time to work on the respect in a marriage. Really dumb mistake number one is not working on the love, the connection, the bond. Really dumb mistake number two is not working on the respect in the marriage. But okay, let's move on. Really dumb mistake number three. Elizabeth Holton won a, earned a Ph.D. in psychology from Stanford University with a very interesting experiment. She split up volunteers into two groups. She made a list of well-known songs, Happy Birthday, Star Spangled Banner, and she asked one of the volunteers to be a tapper, 
to tap out the song and the listener to guess the song. So basically she did this with hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. <clears throat> One person's job was to tap out the beat of the song and the listener's job was to guess the song. Now, <clears throat> the listeners guessed it correctly 2.5% of the time, almost never. And if you think about it, it should be rather obvious. Is that Happy Birthday or Star Spangled Banner? I, I don't really know. It's pretty hard to tell from a beat what the song is. But that wasn't the interesting part. She asked the tappers <clears throat> to take a guess. What are the odds that the listener is going to guess it right? Person after person said at least 50%. For sure she's going to get it. For sure he's going to get it. And you could see the tape recorder, well, the, <clears throat> the videotape, when the tapper's tapping out the song and the, and the listener doesn't get it, the tapper's like, how could you not get it? But you know what she earned a PhD for? The reason behind it. You see, when you tap out a song, you can't help but play it in your mind. And when you hear it in your mind, it's so obvious. How could you not tell? That's the Star Spangled Banner. And this is the third of the ten really dumb mistakes that really smart couples make. Assuming that that which is in my mind is in your mind. Assuming that the way I feel about things is the way you feel about things. Assuming that my experience defines reality. And I'd like to share with you two examples of this. One is a very small example, but the other one is a lot larger. Here's a small example. As I mentioned, Baruch Hashem, we're married now, coming up in 36 years, and I find the following phenomena incredible. To this day, <coughs> Shabbos, I typically get up very early. The house is quiet, I learn. And a little bit later in the day, I bring my wife a cup of coffee in bed. She likes to have a cup of coffee in Shabbos in bed. And to this day, <coughs> as I'm preparing the cup of coffee, I open the fridge and I have to stop. Because I'm about to reach for the creamer, and I <coughs> have to stop. Now, everyone knows that coffee t- tastes much better with full-fat milk, at least, or creamer for sure. But here's the problem. The problem is my wife prefers her coffee with skim milk. And to this day, I have to stop. Oh, giraffe. But I, I want to give her the good. I want it to taste good. I want her to give her a good cup of coffee with full-fat milk, or creamer for sure, <coughs> half and half. But the problem is that's not the way my wife likes her coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, do you hear what I'm saying to you? What I'm saying to you is the way I experience things is the way I experience things. But recognizing that my spouse has a different experience. My spouse has a different way of thinking, a different temperament, a different approach, and has a totally different viewpoint on things is one of the key and essential ingredients to being successfully married. Okay, now here's the bigger example of that. A young man is married six months, and he's (coughs) coming home from work, and as he's about to put his key into the apartment door, he says to himself, Ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, I married such a grounded girl, not one of these flighty dames, not one of these... Oh. <coughs> Baruch Hashem. He puts his key in the door, opens the door, walks in, and sees his uh, wife up on the chair. <coughs> what is it? What is it? What? 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 It's a, a, a cockroach. A what? A cockroach! Do something! Uh, you, you can come down now. Okay, listen, he doesn't say anything, but uh, hey, you know, whatever. Two weeks later, he's at work, and he's very focused at work. He shuts his phone off. A co-worker brings the phone over and says, you know, your wife's on the phone, something sounds serious. Better. He takes it, what is it? Could, could you come home, please? Why? What's the matter? Please come home. Why? What's the matter? There, there, there are two of them. Come home now. What? There are two of them. Come home now, please. I don't believe it. She wants me to leave work. Stop what I'm doing. To kill two stupid bugs? Furious, he gets into his car, drives home. He's about to put the key in the, in the door. He opens the door, and there she is. Up. Where are they? Over there. They're two over there. I hope you're satisfied. Turns around, heads right back to his car, drives back to work. Ladies and gentlemen, who was right? Who was right? Was she right? After all, she was terrified. She was scared. She calls her husband home to save her. Was he right? After all, two stupid bugs? He called me to stop working for two bugs? Who was right? <clears throat> Who was right is an excellent question to ask in a court of law. Maybe a divorce court. But who was right is a terrible question to ask in a marriage. A far more helpful question to ask would be, what was going on in each of their minds and their psyches? So let me let you in on a little part of reality. I have, Baruch Hashem, four daughters and two sons. I don't know why it is, but my daughters are afraid of bugs. The boys are not. 
when the girls were little, they used to call their baby brother in to take care of the bug. They just said to make sure he didn't eat the bug. But I don't know why it is. The girls are afraid of bugs. Boys aren't. But here's the point. And she's up on the chair, and she is terrified. If you would like to understand what she was experiencing at that moment, let's change the scene a little bit. Let's say it was him home alone and not her. And let's imagine instead of two uh, cockroaches, it was two German shepherds. Would he be up on the chair? Uh-uh. He'd be out the fire escape down the block because German shepherds are scary and bugs aren't. But that's true in his experience. The way he experienced things, <coughs> bugs are not scary, dogs are. But guess what? If you remain married to your experience and can't climb into the experience of your spouse, you're going to have a difficult time being happily married. Because I guarantee your spouse is going to look at things differently, feel about things differently, and have a different perspective than you do. And the very first ingredient in a very successful marriage is your ability to climb into your spouse's reality. Dumb mistake number one is not working on the love. And dumb mistake number two is not working on the respect. Really dumb mistake number three is assuming that my reality defines, my experience defines reality. My experience is the way I experience it. But that doesn't define reality and learning that my spouse thinks differently, feels, why can't she be normal like me? Why can't she just think like me? Why can't she? Because she's not you. Okay, let's move on. Okay, really dumb mistake number four. Ladies, this one's on your side of the court over here. Okay. For or against? Okay, one second. Uh, Here we go. Um, We said love is the key glue to marriage. What is the single most important ingredient in a successful relationship, right? Understanding, Understanding, communication, trust. trust. What is the single most important ingredient in a successful relationship? Communication. Most women I've asked will say communication. Woman after woman say communication. I've seen it time after time. Uh, I've never yet heard a guy say that. Not once. Not once. Okay, Ted Houston is a psychologist in the University of... uh, Somewhere down in Texas, interesting enough. Anyway, he studied 264 couples in depth, and one of the questions he asked them is this question. What is the most important ingredient in a successful relationship? And almost all the women said communication. And almost none of the men said communication. Interesting enough, Lillian Rubin, who is also a psychotherapist in marriage counseling, once reports she's dealing with a couple, and she asked the wife to step outside for a few minutes to speak to the husband. And she asked the husband, describe to me the best part of your relationship. He says, well, we could just be sitting on the couch, holding hands, maybe listening to music, but we don't have this incessant need to talk, to yap. We're just going to be spending time together. Okay? He asked, she asked the gentleman to leave, asked the wife to come back in, and asked the wife to describe the relationship. Well, we could be sitting on the couch, listening to music, and he sits there like a log. He doesn't say a word. I want to hit him under the head with a bat. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... The single biggest complaint that women come to a marriage therapist with is, we never talk. The single biggest complaint that men come to the marriage therapist with is, all we do is talk, talk, talk. Now somebody got it wrong. Either we never talk or we're always talking, but what's going on here? Anyone curious to know the answer to this question? Okay, you can answer this question very, very simply. All you have to do is go to a Shabbos morning kiddush, and listen to the conversations on the women's side of the Kiddush, and listen to the men's side of the Kiddush. And this is sort of what it sounds like. You go to the women's side, and it sounds something like this. Oh, great talking to you. Okay, that's the women's side. And now let's go over to the men's side. Conversation sounds something like this. Great talking to you. Okay. You ever notice women make all those oohs and ahs and ahs? Ooh, you need a lexicon. What are they, I don't even know what they're saying. But, gentlemen, why do women make all of those oohs and ahs and oh, oh, wow, oh, oh? Why do they do that? Why? Anybody, anybody curious? <clears throat> to share the pain. <laughs> no. Wrong answer. You married? No, no, no. <coughs> Deborah Tannen is a sociologist. She wrote a number of books describing men and women in conversation. And she describes that men and women talk about different subjects with different intentions, with total different ideas in mind. 
very often the reason why a woman speaks is to communicate, to bond, to connect. Most of the time, the reason why guys talk is to share ideas. And why does she make all of those oohs and ahs? Because she's connecting the woman next to the connect. Ooh, ah. Okay, so, gentlemen, here we go. Are you ready? Let's go back to that key question. Would you like to be happy? He's not looking. He's typing into his phone. Yeah? You want to be happy or no? Say no. If you don't, say no. Say no. Go. You want to be happy? Good. Okay. A, what's the rule? A happy, happy wife is a happy life. You have to learn to listen to your wife. You have to learn to share with your wife. And, but gentlemen, I don't know if you're going to do so well at the oohs and ahs, but you've got to learn that communication means something very, very different to your wife than likely it does to you. And women bond. They connect. That's how they create that sense of, of unity. That's how they, send, they create the sense of connection. And you have to learn to share with your wife. You have to learn to listen to your wife. And gentlemen, don't make that dumb mistake that I made. This is um, mistake number four is not understanding communication is different for men and women. I was married for about 10 years when I realized something very interesting. I was a high school Rebbe. A big part of the job of Rebbe is to teach guys how to learn, but probably the bigger part of his job is to teach the guys about life. And guys would come to me with questions all the time. We'd sit down, we'd talk, and I thought I was doing a pretty good job. 20 years later, guys would come to me, Rabbi Shaver, that advice you gave me back in high school is great, I still use it today. Okay, whenever a guy would come to ask me for my advice, <clears throat> generally speaking, I would listen, we'd discuss it, and he left pretty happy. And then I'd go home, and my wife would ask me for advice, and she was never happy. It was like my IQ dropped 80 points when I crossed the threshold. I, I, I didn't get it. Okay, you know what I discovered after 10 years of marriage? My wife was not asking for my advice. She wanted to share. She wanted to communicate. So gentlemen, here's the big rule. Don't change it. Don't fix it. Don't improve it. Don't tell her what you could have done. Listen. Just listen. Bond empathy. We could discuss that in the uh, Monday night group, what empathy is about, how to do it. But gentlemen, this is mistake number four. Not understanding that communication means something different to your spouse than it does to you. Mistake number one is not working on the love in the marriage. Really dumb mistake number two is not working on the respect. Really dumb mistake number three is what? Assuming that my experience defines reality. Not understanding that my spouse views things differently. Really dumb mistake number four is not understanding that communication means something different to your wife like than it does to you. Okay, so ladies, we got this straight? It's all the guy's fault, right? Got that? Everybody agree? Right? Everyone in agreement? Yep, all the guy's fault. So, I would like to agree with that, but I have found that there are things that women do that make it difficult for their husbands to like them, let alone love them. Let me share with you one of the top ten of those. Here we go. It is my firm belief that every young woman, as she makes that way down the aisle, has a ten-point home improvement plan in place. And it's that guy under the chuppah who is the recipient of that ten-point home improvement policy. First of all, those ties have got to go, and those shoes, and those dumb jokes, they're coming late. Now, we'll give her credit. During the Sheva Bracha, she's well-behaved, she doesn't say a word. But shortly after the Sheva Brachas have ended, she begins on her home improvement policy. And she can't help but notice that if her husband was neater, he'd be more efficient. So she points it out to him. And he doesn't get all warm and fuzzy. So I guess he doesn't get how much I love him and how much I'm concerned. So she points it out even more clearly. And Moishi, I mean, don't you understand? If you'd be neater, you'd be much more efficient and get much more done. And he doesn't well up with love and appreciation. I guess he doesn't get it. So she says in the joke, Moishi, how do you even find yourself in the mess? <laughs> and he doesn't laugh. And for the life of her, she doesn't understand that she's making the fifth of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. She's trying to change her spouse. Now, I say this to you, ladies, why? Because if I spend a lot of time, and I really, really focus on this, I can get most guys to buy into this, and I can get most guys, at least intellectually, to understand that their job is not to change their spouse. I have not yet succeeded once in getting a woman to stop changing her spouse. Not once. I've not once succeeded. Now, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but I've tried and tried and tried. Not once have I succeeded. Now, let me explain to you what, what, what it looks like. Again, here's the phone call. The phone call sounds something like this. Right, Shiva, what do I do with the guy? He's 40 years old and he leaves his socks on the floor. I say, okay, tell me, have you mentioned this to him before? Mentioned, I told him 10,000 times, pick up your socks. What's wrong with you? What's wrong? I said, okay, let's assume he has an IQ above 80. And he got the idea that you probably don't like his socks on the floor. I have an important question to ask you. 
Why doesn't he pick up his socks? That's exactly my question. Why doesn't he do it? <clears throat> okay, so let's think about this for a minute. Now, in this case, I told this woman a little story. I had been recently before I was at a marriage seminar, and uh, <clears throat> a fellow comes over and says, Rabbi, you got to help me. My wife, she had her first baby. She put on some weight. She didn't lose that weight. She had her second child, and she put on some more weight. She had her third child. She's 40 pounds overweight. But yet, I'm saying, I'm a doctor. I work in the ER, all these young nurses, they're thin. And, and I, I tried to get her to, to, to lose weight. I offered a nutritionist, I offered an exercise plan. I told her anything she wants, and she just won't do it. Rabbi, you got to help me. Help me. What do I do? I said to him, young man, you have a choice to make. You either embrace her as she is, or you suffer. I said to him, I've not yet met a woman who's 40 pounds overweight, looks in the mirror and says, oh, geschmack, 40 pounds heavier than when I got married. That's just what I always wanted to be. Right? So why doesn't she just lose the weight? You offer the nutritionist, you offer the exercise plan, why doesn't she just do it? And the answer is because right now there's a lot on the plate, three kids might have a lot to do with it, but for whatever which reason, right now it's not going to happen. And you either accept her as she is, embrace her as she is, or suffer. And what I said to this woman with the socks on the floor is, don't you understand? <clears throat> is he a nice guy? Yeah. Is he responsible? Yeah. So why doesn't he pick up his socks? Why doesn't he do He's passive aggressive. No. He doesn't love me. No. It's not true. Why doesn't he do You know why? Because he's like the rest of us. He has many strengths and he also has things to work on. And like all of us, he has many, many talents, many, many good qualities, and he also has chesronos. And the minute you're able to understand that is the minute you're able to be happily married. To be able to understand that my spouse is the way they are because that's the way God made them. And that's the way they is because that's the way they is. Now, I have spoken about this time after time after time. If you go to the shmooz.com, you'll see hundreds of shmooz in many, many series on all kinds of topics. Happens to be for the past little while now, maybe two years or so, I'm focused dramatically on marriage because there's so much trouble. In any case... I was speaking in Chicago <coughs> to a group of women there, and after I was finished, one of the women said, Rabbi Schaefer, do you remember you were here two years ago? I said, I do. She said, do you remember what you spoke about? I said, I don't. She said, well, you told that story of the socks on the floor. I said, okay. She said, it changed my marriage. I said, what do you mean? She said, we used to fight, we used to fight all the time. You told me that story and it changed my marriage. I said, explain to us, please, what do you, what do you mean? She said, well, in my case, my husband would come home Sunday night, take his jacket off and leave it on the dining room chair. Monday night, he'd be wearing a different suit. He'd take that jacket off, leave it on the dining room chair next to it. <coughs> Tuesday night, the next chair, Wednesday night. The th- by Thursday night, his entire wardrobe was in the dining room. I said, what used to happen? I used to scream, I used to yell. Okay, what happens now? Now what happens is Sunday night, he puts his jacket on the chair. I take it upstairs. Monday night, he puts it on the chair. I take it upstairs. How's your show and bias now? It's great. I asked the women in that class to stand up and clap to cheer because this woman got it right. Now, what am I saying? Why doesn't he just pick his socks off the floor? Why doesn't he just bring his jacket upstairs? Why? Anyone know the answer to this very, very difficult query? What is the answer to this? Habit. Huh? Because he's a human being. And guess what? He has strengths and he has weaknesses, much like you do. And ladies and gentlemen, here is the single most important Musr exercise you could ever engage in. If you're having difficulty in your marriage, if you have complaints about your husband or your wife, I have a Musr exercise that will solve many of them. Are you ready? Are you ready? Go yes if you're ready. Go no if you're not ready. Yes. Are you, yes? Yes? Here we go. <coughs> but you, you, you may be sorry you said yes so quickly because this is not an easy one. Here we go. <coughs> if you're having difficulty with your spouse's behavior or habits or whatever it is, Listen to me very carefully. Listen to this Musa exercise. You go over to a mirror. You look at the two eyes staring back at the mirror, and you say the words, I am a difficult person to live with. I am a difficult person to live with. I am a difficult person to live with. Now, do I mean you're obnoxious? And I mean you're a miscreant? You're a difficult person to live with because Hashem made us imperfect. We're put into this planet to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. If you were perfect, you'd be done your job here, and it'd be safe come the shalom time to go home. Let's hope you still have work to do. But you see, when you look in the mirror and you say the words, I am a difficult person to live with, you recognize that we all have stuff. We all have idiosyncrasies, quirks. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And when you recognize that I got stuff, 
It makes it a whole lot easier for you to accept your spouse. Really dumb mistake number one is not working on the love in the marriage. Really dumb mistake number two is not working on the respect. Really dumb mistake number three is not understanding that my experience is the way I experience things. But my spouse may have a different experience. She may like a coffee with skim milk or heavy milk or whatever it may be. But because I feel this way doesn't mean my spouse feels that way. Really dumb mistake number four is not understanding that communication means something different to women than it does to men. And really dumb mistake number five is trying to change your spouse. Now, we're all going to go home and do what? Change our spouse. I know it. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to The guys, maybe. I have a shot. Maybe. Maybe you read the book and you'll see, see the online seminar. And let me say it 50 times, maybe. I know for a fact you're still going to change. How do I know this for a fact, by the way? I did a five-part marriage seminar in Brooklyn. And I went on my rant. Don't change your husband. Don't do it. The socks on the floor. The whole, the, the, the embrace your spouse. I did the whole routine. Now, because it was a very large group, we dealt with the questions afterwards. People would write the questions on a card, and they'd bring the questions up to me. Someone went to the women's section first, and after my 40-minute rant about not changing your spouse, the first question I get from the women's section is, well, what if I try to change him by being very sweet? I say, no, no, don't do it. All it does is erects the relationship. It, it won't connect you at all. He's not going to change, and it's just going to make it very difficult for you to be happy. Don't do it. Okay, the next question I get is, what if I try to change him with a sense of humor? I said, no, no, don't do it. It's not going to work. It's not going to change him. It's going to wreck the relationship. You're going to distance yourself. Okay, don't. Okay. And the third question I get is, what if I try to change him with consequences? Oh, that's a clever idea. Moshi, you pick your socks off the floor, you're not getting lunch tomorrow. Let's see how that one works out for you. Yeah. Okay, I made my point. I made my point again and again and again. Now, I'm not, maybe I'm not the most clever guy in the world. But in any case, the seminar was in Brooklyn. I live in Muncie. It's an hour and a half drive. That was enough time for the emails to come in, and I made that dumb mistake of opening my emails as soon as I got home. The very first email, <coughs> Rabbi Schaefer, if I don't change by being nice, if I have a sense of humor or consequences, how am I going to change him? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can show you the emails. The next one was the kicker, Rabbi Schaefer. After all the time you spent on the subject, maybe it's not that we don't understand what you're saying, Maybe it's that we don't agree. Oh. And it's true. She's going to change him if it kills him, her, and the marriage, which it will, but it will never work. So ladies and gentlemen, if you leave tonight with one concept, it's to understand that you are a human being with many strengths and some weaknesses, and guess what? You also married a human being with many strengths and many weaknesses. And if you try to change him, you know what's going to happen? It ain't going to work, but it sure is going to make it difficult for you guys to be happily married. I have a theory, by the way. And again, ladies, you'll forgive me. Again, I bash both sides of Mechitza, so it's not that I'm beating up the ladies here. I beat the guys up also, but I have my little theory. My little theory? Most marriages go through this kind of like first 20 years, and then suddenly gets much better. Would you like to know why I believe that's true? For the first 20 years, she tries doggedly to change him this way and that way, and finally she gives up. He's a stubborn ox! And finally, after 20 years, he starts acting different. He's so much more pleasant to be with. He's so much more nice. He wants to take me out. He wants to spend time with me. So and you have a choice. You can wait the 20 years. Or you can learn the lesson now. It never works. It's not going to see. Do you know why it doesn't work? Anyone hop why it doesn't work? Anyone understand why it doesn't work? I'll tell you why it doesn't work. Because it's always my strength and my spouse's weakness that bothers me the most. It's invariably going to be that area that's my strength and it's going to be my spouse's weakness that's going to flare up and bother me all the time. And I can't help but point it out. I can't help but notice it. It's so obvious. It's so clear. And you'll excuse me for saying it this way. We become experts at what our spouse does wrong. It never changes the spouse, but it does wreck the relationship. <laughs> if you would like to be happily married, and it's not just for the guys, ladies as well. If you'd like to be happily married... You have to remember the rules. Number one, you have to work on the love because that's the glue of the marriage. You have to work on the respect because without respect, the marriage will never succeed. You have to learn that the way I experience things is the way I experience things. But my spouse has a whole different world. When she's up there on the chair, why is she up there? Why is she so crazy? What's her problem? You know what her problem is? She's experiencing fear. But she shouldn't. I wouldn't experience fear. Bugs don't scare me. They shouldn't scare her. Maybe. But because you experience things one way, it doesn't mean your spouse shares that experience. 
And really, dumb mistake number four is not understanding that communication means something different to men than it does to women. And really, dumb mistake number five is what? I forgot what it was already. I forgot. What was mistake number five? The one I forgot. What was it again? Oh, don't change. What? Oh, yeah, don't change your spouse. We're going to forget that one real quickly. Don't worry about it. It's not going to last. Okay, now, I think there's a tremendous lesson to learn from this, this Rashi. And what Rashi is telling us is Avram Avinu and Sarimenu had the near-perfect marriage. But Malachim had tremendous wisdom. And he understood that the essence of the successful marriage, the glue of the marriage is the love. And they asked, where is Sarah? Why? To make her more beloved in his eyes because that's the essence of a successful marriage. The reason why Hashem was Mashana, Hashem lied, and Avram Vino would not have gone to pieces. Like Sarah called me an old man would have made a scratch. Maybe almost not noticeable, but Hashem says it's worthy for me to lie because Shalom Bayes is holy and the love in the marriage is the glue. And I want to conclude with a story that I think well defines what a successful marriage should be. While I'm doing this conclusion, I'll give you a chance to think of your questions because I, I, I do want questions. But here we go. I'm a Talmud, Rabbi Leibowitz was my Rebbe. The Rishiva was much older than the Rebbitzin. And everyone knew what was going to happen. <coughs> the Rishiva was going to pass away and leave the Rebetzin and Almona. That's not what happened. <coughs> the Rebetzin turned ill and very quickly passed away. And I heard my Rebbe <coughs> get up to say a hespit, a eulogy for his wife. He got up and he said these words. Everything we did, we did together. We built the yeshiva together. We went there at Stroll together. Everything we did, we did together. I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to worry about my food. I didn't have to worry about my medicine. Everything we did, we did together. She worried about me more than I worried about me. He must have said that expression, everything we did, we did together 12, maybe 14 times. And then he said these words. I said a hesped. I said a eulogy for my father. I said a hesped for my mother. I cannot say a hesped for my wife. <clears throat> saying a hesped for my wife is like saying a hesped for myself. I can't do it. And he sat down. And with those words, he defined a marriage. One unit, bonded, connected. It takes a lot of work to get past the dumb mistakes that we do all the time. <clears throat> but once you do that, you work on the relationship, you work on the love, you work on the friendship, and before you know it, you start connecting, you start bonding. But that's the ultimate goal. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.